Our first reading is taken from Acts chapter 10, verses 34 to 43. Gentiles hear the good news. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread through Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Thanks be to God. And our second reading is from Matthew. The Baptism of Jesus. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now. For it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Thanks be to God. When I first went to uh, secondary school, it was a girls' school. And in the course of being there, 
it turned into a mixed school. We were moved up to the boys' premises, um, and so consequently, of course, we had some of the teachers that the boys had that we weren't familiar with. And one of these was a very mysterious English teacher called Mr. Jones. In fact, the boys told us his nickname was Bonzo, but we, but we never found out why. But the great thing about Mr. Jones was that we all thought he was actually rather just the thing. He had dark hair, velvety sort of eyes, and he wore corduroy jackets. We were very struck with Mr. Jones. And we tried to find out whether there was, in fact, a Mrs. Jones. It turned out there wasn't, and we wondered about this. It wasn't very PC, actually. In these days, it wouldn't be very PC, but, but uh, we wondered about this. And then one of uh, us, a girl called Judith, who was a farmer's daughter, and quite frankly, she, didn't, she was so used to ordering about animals and things, she didn't mind what she said to anybody, really. She said, well, I'll go and ask him. So in one English lesson, and you know how it is with school, there are some things that really stick in your mind. And one English lesson, when he was marking books at the front, she went up when she was called, and she said to him, please, sir, why aren't you married? Well, said Mr. Jones, because unlike you, I know how to mind my own business. And then he said, and this whole class, because we all got our heads down, but we were obviously listening, this whole class will write for tomorrow morning a hundred times, I must mind my own business. <laughs> oh, sir, said the boys, that's not fair. It's nothing to do with us. And then he said, well, the sooner you learn that nothing in this world is fair, the better you will be. And so it was. We all had to write out a hundred times, I must mind my own business. Turned out later on that he married a rather elegant and we suspected financially well-endowed widow. So that was, that was Mr. Jones. But that has always struck with me, and I know it seems a bit odd, but when I read this uh, extract from the Acts of the Apostles where Peter starts off by saying, God shows uh, no partiality. Um, the idea of being fair came back to me because I think being fair is something that we sort of agonize about as a society. How are we going to make things fair? Why are things not fair? Why do bad things happen to good people? Surely, really, it ought to be the case that people get their just desserts, perhaps, or perhaps that, that nobody gets their desserts, but everybody lives together in harmony, and so that sort of sentiment isn't necessary. Now, of course, in the reading from Acts, Peter is making the point that Jesus's message and his teaching is for everybody. He's not actually talking about individual fairness, and so that is what he's really talking about. But I think there's something very, something that goes very much to the heart of being human, to actually want things to be fair. You know, we come to church, we try and do the right thing. Why is life not fair uh, to us sometimes? And sometimes it's difficult, I think, not to get a bit impatient when we see what we think are unfair things happening. 
people who've actually seemed to have it all, who seem to get more. And that always reminds me in turn of Jesus' story of the prodigal son, which is so true, isn't it? Where the elder son says, it's not fair. What about me? So I think that's something very relevant to our readings this morning. Because all of us, all of us, have fallen short of creating a just society. All of us are, in a sense, responsible for trying to put right the things that have gone wrong and the things that aren't fair. But it's such a human tendency to point at other people. If things are wrong, it's that, it's them, it's them, it's them. It's never actually us. And I think the baptism of Jesus has something to say to us about this idea of justice and partiality. You see, John's message to the people who came to him was a very practical one. It was all about being fair, actually, because he said, you need to make sure that you use your resources justly. You need to make sure that soldiers don't abuse your power. People who've got cloaks, give a cloak to somebody who hasn't got one. John's message was very, very practical. And the thing I actually asked myself was this, why did so many people flock out to hear John the Baptist? I mean, can you imagine today, think of the recent election campaign, people actually flocking to hear somebody say, well, we've all got to make sacrifices. It's not what happens, is it? What's, what we seem to have got into, and I'm not making a party political point here at all because I think it's the same for all. What we seem to have got into is this idea that we will vote for whoever bribes us the most. But this is not what the message of the gospel and John's message is about. Why did all these people go and hear him if what he was actually doing was telling them they'd got to turn their lives around and make sacrifices? There must have been something that they were seeking for in their society that they felt that John the Baptist had to say to them. And so off they went to do this. Now, to be baptized, to listen to his message. So you may say, what has this got to do with Jesus? Well, I think Matthew's gospel in the account of the baptism gives us two clues about this. The first clue is that Jesus is coming out of the water. And Matthew, particularly with the Jewish perspective of his gospel, his hearers would remember, of course, the Exodus and the people of Israel coming up out of the water on their journey from slavery to freedom. So when Jesus goes to be baptized by John, what's being put into our minds is this idea that we can actually get out of slavery. Now, the slavery that we're in, I think, is the slavery of this society that somehow wants to say to us, you can have everything without responsibility. You can have everything without somehow realizing that there are going to be sacrifices that need to be made. And that's a sort of slavery, isn't it really? It's a freedom that we need to somehow get to embrace. 
to think that there is a different way of looking at things. And that's connected to the second clue in this morning's reading, which is the dove that appears. And the dove, of course, and the, the spirit, the breath of creation, is to remind us about the very origins of life, about the spirit which breathed so that there was life. So do you think that somehow this message of going from the slavery of pointing at other people and saying, it's not fair, or actually saying, well, I want, I want, I want, but I don't actually want to actually make any sacrifices for it, going from that slavery into freedom is a way of introducing the idea of a new life. And surely this is the message that we have to take out. I was thinking about John the Baptist and how wonderful it would be if he suddenly appeared and came through the doors, because I suspect that John the Baptist would come in here and say, get rid of all this frippery. He's not interested in frippery. He wants to get straight to the message. The axe goes to the root of the tree. Now, you don't have much frippery in here. I think, actually, he'd be a lot more, um, <clears throat> a lot more descriptive about all the bits and pieces we have around at St. Paul's, because that's our tradition. So I think, actually, he wouldn't spend a lot of time in here looking around. But can't you see him as a man who's directly, directly uh, wants to say to people, look, never mind all these non-essentials, just get to the point. Things are not fair, and in the kingdom they have to be fair. And you're never going to make things fair by pointing at other people and saying, it's all to do with them, it's nothing to do with us. And so his directness was obviously something that attracted people to listen to him. I mean, would you have gone out into the wilderness to listen to somebody with this message? That actually leads on to the question for all of us, really. Who would we go out into the wilderness to listen to? Who would you choose today to go out into the wilderness to listen to? Because you believe that they have a message that says something central to the way that we run our society and the effect that has on our individual lives. Who would that? actually be. And surrounded as we are by so many attempts to speak to us through social media, through the news, who would you actually go to listen to? Because that, I think, is really crucial as well. So that brings me back to my opening story and Mr. Jones saying, I know how to mind my own business. Now, what is our business as Christians? If we want people to come and listen to us, what is our business about? You see, I really ought to be preaching to you this morning, according to the commentaries, about how Jesus' baptism is about, well, <coughs> excuse me, is it about the fact that it was at his baptism that Jesus first realized what his mission was? was. Is that so? I should also be preaching to you about this is the first instance of the Trinity appearing in a gospel. You have the Father's voice, you have the Son being baptized, and you have the Spirit coming down. 
But I suspect that if we make that our business, even though we kind of know that that is our business, nobody's going to listen to us. Because why would they? It doesn't resonate with them. So what is our business? And I think our business this week has been very depressing, hasn't it, really? found it very difficult to hold on to any sort of hope, the events of the last few days. Um, but surely our business is to be the people who other people will listen to because they see in us an alternative way of looking at things, because they see in us the fact that we are prepared to make sacrifices, the fact that we are prepared to say, this is our responsibility, and we're not going to keep pointing the finger at other people. And our business is to go out and somehow be those sort of people. It's very difficult to do that, and I suspect that you're thinking, oh no, she's on the same tack, because I suspect that my sermons nearly all say the same thing, actually. But, and I never know how to do it. That's the problem. But somehow we've got to hold on to this. Yesterday, the um, Canterbury Deanery lay readers had a very nice meal in a restaurant, and one of us had come from St. Mary Breddin, where they'd had a men's breakfast. And um, Martin was telling us that the speaker was inspirational. What we said to him was the message of the speaker. And Martin said, well, that we are the people of hope. We are the people who are prepared to face up to the fact that things are wrong, prepared to say how we would like things to be put right. But we're also the people who understand that there are going to be difficult, sad, and dangerous times. And that instead of pointing the finger at other people for those, we are the people who are going to live with them. Because our story of Jesus, of course, is only at the beginning at his baptism. And we know that it's going to go through to his crucifixion. But we also know it's going to go through to the resurrection that shows that the new life which the Spirit symbolizes at the baptism is never going to be defeated. That this message of hope is never going to be uh, lesser than the messages that we hear around us. So our business is to go out and do that. And perhaps if we actually do that, we might find that we can then get people to come and listen to the deeper implications of this story about Jesus's identity and why we believe that listening to Jesus and following Jesus is worthwhile. Because even though in the version that we read this morning, we didn't get the final line, there is in one of the baptism stories, the final line where the voice says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Now, another thing I could have preached on, but I didn't want to because again, it, to me it's a mystery, is was this voice speaking to Jesus on his own or to the people around? Well, if you insert that phrase, listen to him, then it assumes it was to the people around. So this message isn't just a private one for Jesus. This is a message that we need to take out. And it's only, I think, by taking out John's preaching that people will then listen to us 
And then we can get them somehow, somehow, to come in and we can say to them, look, here is the story of Jesus, whom we believe to be a unique person who reveals to us what the nature of whatever God is, is likely to be. And the way that we can all go from slavery to freedom, from despair to hope, is to do what the voice says at the end of the gospel. Listen to him. That is our business. And we don't need to mind it. And it doesn't need to be something that we have to write a hundred lines on so it's a chore. It's something which is, in fact, the joy that comes out of having this hope.